It's called The Real Perfect Storm. I know that the movie, I think, premieres next Friday. My wife said she read the book and she's excited about it. Oh, the perfect storm. This is the real perfect storm. You get a sneak preview, hallelujah. Uh, he's got, before it comes out in the theaters. The real perfect storm. Actually, I even could have called it the real perfect storms. It could have been plural. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Many of you are very well acquainted with the story. And because uh, I'm only going to read the first three verses, so the rest of it, most of you do know. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before you, before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee NIV says from the Lord. But King James, most of you that have King James says, to flee from where? The presence. We want your presence. Presence. The presence of the Lord. You've got to pay a price for the presence of God. But it's worth it. Father, I pray that we would learn to pay the price for your presence. Lord, that we would, that you would not bless what we're doing, but we would be where you're blessing. And that is Nineveh. Let us not run from Nineveh. And let us not run to Tarshish. Let us run to your presence, irregardless of the price. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody together said? Amen. Amen. Greet one another one more time in the love of the Lord. We're going to be covering the book of Jonah and then a storm in the book of Acts near the end of the sermon. You may be seated. Praise God. Let me get ready here. See, the book of Jonah, doubtless, is one of the, one of the books in the Bible that has been thrashed around a bit. It's been kicked around by so many Bible readers. Okay. Yes, the book of Jonah, okay, is one of the minor prophets. But most people have really majored in minors when it comes to dealing with the meat of the matter regarding the book of Jonah. Stay with me now. Already you can tell this is going to be one of those sermons. Got to stay with them. Can't, can't get off the boat. Don't jump like Jonah did. Hallelujah. Not yet, anyways. At the end of the sermon, you can jump. But not right now. Right now, you got to stay on the boat. White water rafting. Hallelujah. How'd it go yesterday? All right. Uh, well, today is going to be the, another spiritual white water rafting. You got to stay with me. It's one of those sermons, okay? It's, it's a cerebral. Again, I can't even enunciate it. Like ceviche. Hallelujah. Huh? It's a cerebral, not ceviche message, okay? So you got to stay with me. It's one of the minor prophets, this book. But most people have really majored in minors when it comes to this book. What I mean by majored in minors is they've done this. They've said, how could a fish swallow a man? That's how they've majored in minors. Okay? They have lost really the brunt of this book. How big was the mouth of the fish? Was it a whale or was it a fish that swallowed up Jonah? See, most people have argued and debated as to whether a fish was a whale, as to whether the size of the, 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 the mouth of the fish was capable of swallowing a human, and keeping him alive for three days. They have majored in minors. They zero in on non-essentials while neglecting the essential of the book, the meat of the matter. Today I want us to try and look at the essential, the major meat in this book, the book of Jonah. 
Now, the book of Jonah is actually quite a beautiful gospel. It's a gospel because gospel means what? Good news. It's really a good book. It's good news. Even being swallowed up by a, by a fish. Sometimes it's good for us to have been swallowed up by a fish. That's good news. It's good to go through storms every now and again. Uh, see, this book doesn't measure the size of the fish's mouth, but rather the size of Jonah's heart. And his heart goes from a peanut to Gibraltar during uh, uh, the course of this book. Did you hear what I said? His, his heart goes from being a peanut, actually almost like a peanut shell, because there's very little in there, to becoming a Gibraltar. And you're going to see at the end of the sermon how his heart became a Gibraltar in the storm. The book of Jonah begins with the words, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. See, God himself got his word and his will somehow in some way across to Jonah, okay, of what he was supposed to do. And of that we are sure. God's word came to Jonah. Jonah got God's word and God's will for his life. How he got that point across, we don't know, but he did See, God always has a way of speaking to us, of getting his will to come to our hearts. Today, he's going to speak to some of you. God has a way of doing that, of getting his word and his will across to us, as he did to Jonah. See, when we can sense his spirit speaking to our spirit, where we can feel the warmth in our hearts regarding certain facts that God wants us to do and certain facts that God wants us to have. God, Jonah, go to Nineveh. That was a fact. That was God's will uh, for Jonah's life. And each one of us knows when and where God has come to us and put out his call to us. We know that. Some people say, well, does God speak audibly? No, he speaks louder than that. And God has a way of getting our attention. See, now, how the word of God came, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't really speak about that, but that's a non-essential in this book. It could have come through, you know, Jonah hearing from God's spirit or through a friend or through a leader, uh, through some other ministry or uh, some other minister or by seeing the need. Because a lot of times when you see the need, God is able to call your life. We really don't know how it came. But the essential thing is that it did come. God does speak. Are we clear with that? He still speaks even today. The word alert, it came to Jonah as it can and does still come to you and I today. What was that word that came to the minor prophet Jonah? Well, God gave him a rather odd and a really, in a sense, unwelcome command. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. Now, I didn't, I'm going to someday put a sermon together because I like this. I don't have it in my notes, but, you know, how he, how he saw that as a great city. That's what God told my wife and I 19 years ago. Arise and go to, hey, we're that. It's a great city. I mean, my wife just a lot of juice. Uh, now, it wasn't great when we got here. Not that great. It was pretty good. Uh, but you're coming here and doing what God's will for your life. It's turning into a great city. Where in the world is Hayward? The world is finding out that it's a great city. I mean, Manila thinks you are great. I mean, you are the cream of the creme of the crumb of all that stuff. And cream always rises to the top. Manila does. San Pedro de Laguna thinks you are so great. Colorado Springs, mm, I love you. Like Nikki Cruz says, because he lives there, mm, I love you. 
Uh, but he wants to move to the Bay Area maybe, huh? Hallelujah. Uh, uh, that great city, God still speaks to us. And that's what he told Jonah. See, it had to be hard for Jonah to even consider and to think that God's love was so great as to even care about and love a powerfully sinful city like Nineveh. Because Nineveh was a sinful city. So the love of God had to be great and powerful to love a city such as that. See, Jonah didn't want to take on this mission. We can read the account there in, the, in God's word. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. Okay? Though that was his call. He was a missionary evangelist. That was his call. That was, that was his ministry. Missionary evangelist. But he didn't want to go to, to Nineveh. See, his reluctance, though, it was not based on the fact that he feared Nineveh might Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh. Okay, let me read this again. His reluctance was not based on the fact that he feared Nineveh might refuse his message of repentance. In other words, why should I go there? They're not going to repent. That was not why he didn't want to go. That was not his reluctance. Nor was it the fact that they were too far gone. No, Charles Manson will never get saved. He lives in Nineveh. No, 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 no. That's not why he didn't want to go. The reason why Jonah didn't want to go and to take on this assignment was because he feared that Nineveh could or would repent. He didn't want that. He wanted them to go to hell. He thought the Jews, Israel, was the apple of God's eye and nobody else. Uh, he didn't want to see God's blessings on outsiders. He didn't want that. Uh, he just wanted it all for himself. See, Jonah believed that God only took care of the Jewish people, the chosen people. And that God opposed all of Israel's enemies. All the time. That's what he believed. God only blesses the Jews and he, 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 he opposes all of God's and all of Israel's enemies all the time. That's not true. Uh, that's legalistic. That's Pharisaic. Even way back then, they had the legalism kind of a spirit. See, whenever Israel would have good years of harvest, that was God's blessing. But whenever Israel's enemies encountered famine and calamities, that also was a blessing for Israel. We're getting blessed. They're not getting blessed. That's a double blessing. Because my enemies are not prospering. That was their mentality. And if other nations were being blessed, that meant calamity for Israel. Doesn't that make sense? Are you still on the boat? You haven't jumped? Okay. See, that's, they were looking down on other races. It's sort of like this pastor who came into his church. And he was there during the office. During, it was during office hours, during the day. Nine to five. And he decided to come to the altar and pray. And he was praying there saying, God, I'm nothing. God, I'm nothing. God, I'm nothing. He kept praying like that. Then the assistant pastor was walking by. And he heard somebody praying at the altar, God, I'm nothing. And so he, he looked and so he said, I'm going to go pray. So he goes and he gets next to the pastor here. He's the assistant. So he's, God, I'm nothing. God, I'm nothing. He's praying, you know, just, God, I'm nothing. <laughs> then after a few minutes, uh, you know, both of them are praying like that. The, the janitor, the lowly janitor is walking by and he hears them. So he goes in there. 
But he's looking up near the, he, he goes a little bit further out here someplace and he, and he starts praying. God, I'm nothing. God, I'm nothing. Same prayer. Then the assistant pastor hears, he looks who it is, and he nudges the pastor and says, look who else thinks he's nothing. Uh, 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 he ain't about nothing. Ay, ay, ay. I like that one. I, you know, maybe it's, uh, Humility. Uh, but sometimes we want to keep people down. That's what was happening here. That's what the joke is supposed to mean anyways. Uh, see, this selfish attitude has persisted down through the years of thinking that if others are put down, then we'll be put up. That's what we think. Uh, is so-and-so still a minister? He's not a minister. Ooh, maybe I can be a minister. Is so-and-so in charge of this ministry? He's not in charge of the ministry. Maybe I can be in charge of that ministry now. We're a team, man. Uh, we all need each other. There's plenty of ministry to go around anyway. So, uh, we're just getting going. Anyway, whatever the cause or whatever the cost, Jonah flat out made up his mind not to obey God. Whatever it was, he just decided flat out, I'm not going to obey God. He didn't want to. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Thus, my friend, we read in the Bible that Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. While he had been instructed, while he had been asked to go to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. God asked him to go to Nineveh. He went the other way, Tarshish, the farthest point that he could go in the map. Should he, if he had been obedient and gone to Nineveh, he would have gone with the presence and the blessings of the Lord in the will of God. Did you hear what I said? If he'd have been obedient and gone to Nineveh, he would have gone with God's blessings, God's presence, and God's power uh, had he had been obedient. Uh, and he would have been in the will of God. But we know he chose the rebel's road. The rebel's road is what he chose. Tarshish. The road's that he would then have to walk alone in. In that, those roads in Tarshish, he'd have to walk alone there without the presence of God. But he made a very, very concrete, knowledgeable decision. Yes, I'm not going to have God, but I'm going to walk there anyways. Uh, Nineveh is where the presence of God is. It's not going to be easy. It's not. Nineveh's not going to be merrily, merrily, merrily. Uh, sometimes Tarshish will, but you're not going to have the presence of God there. See, Jonah's map only had two cities on it, Nineveh and Tarshish. And by the same token, every one of us here today also has a map marked with only two cities. You're Nineveh or the easy road, Tarshish. The Nineveh of obedience, the Tarsus of disobedience. Every one of us alive is either traveling to Nineveh in obedience or we're traveling in disobedience to Tarsus. Did you, did you hear me? That's, that's only two roads, only two cities on our map. Now, I cannot tell you where your Nineveh is, your place of obedience is, but you're going to know where it is. You'll know because God still speaks. Remember that. That's how I premised this, this sermon. God still speaks. You'll know that place where the presence of God awaits you uh, and will get you through and the way you get there is through obedience. How do you get to Nineveh? Through obedience. How do you get to Nineveh? All right. I want to get that through to you. Hallelujah. Through obedience. Your Nineveh could be in some distant land. Your Nineveh could be in some distant city. Or it could be your baby. It could be your children. 
Years ago, and someday when I write a book, on, I think on the history of our ministry, maybe I'll wait about 23 years. I got plenty of time. Ah, man, this is so awesome. I, I think I'm going to use this when I preach at the conference. I was at Pastor Sonny's house years ago, and Julie brought out a letter, powerful letter. And she said, oh, look at this. And she had Charlie, uh, Valentinus Nino. He was there. He's still around. Uh, but this was many years ago. He was headed to Nineveh at that time, Mija. Pray for your Nino. He says, Tarshish, hallelujah. Uh, but Charlie read the letter. And Charlie, oh man, Charlie's got that. She's from South Central. Chicana from South Central. Uh, and the way he, the way he talked. You know, he, one time he came up here to visit us because he was real close with us. And he went to Edna's Donuts on Tennyson. Remember Edna's Donuts on Tennyson? Uh, he got up early because he gets up early. He likes coffee. Went to go ahead and get coffee. And then he comes back and says, me. Man, I went to Edna's Donuts, and they, I, said, I said, I want a dozen donuts. They gave me the, they gave me the prize, and I said, man, I just want a dozen donuts, man. I don't want to buy the place. <laughs> Remember, Charlie? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to buy the place. <laughs> uh, he's an old-timer, man, from, from, from the hood, you know? But he was, uh, Julie gave him the letter to read. It began like this. He says, I was watching TBN the other day, and... I noticed your last name, that you were hosting the TBN program, uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. And it was Argonzoni. I wonder if you are the Sonny Argonzoni whose mother's name was Georgina. Because many years ago, I was walking the streets of Brooklyn, New York. And your mother, every day, every day, except for Sundays, would preach in the same street corner. The gospel. One day I got so convicted, I gave my heart to the Lord and accepted Christ as my personal Savior through her ministry. But then one day, she had a baby. And she told the rest of us, I cannot preach her no more because I am going to devote my entire life to this baby. She said, I want you to, if you are that son, I want you to know that if that was your mother, Today I am the, the head elder of the Church of God in Christ and Prophecy in Southern Florida. I am in full-time ministry. And I want you to know, if that is you, I want you to know what your mother did. She gave up a, a powerful street ministry just for you. That was her Nineveh. She had a powerful ministry, Sister Argazzoni. Her name was Georgina. Huh? But just God told her, go to Nineveh. Sometimes Nineveh can be your baby. It can be your children. You never know what it could be. But only you can answer that. Sister Argazoni did. See, wherever your Nineveh is, rest assured that you'll walk its streets with joy and with the presence of Almighty God. You got to understand that. That is a definite sure thing. But then on the other hand, you might be headed towards Tarshish in disobedience. Tarsus is the city where anything goes, where you can have your own way and do your own thing. It is a city of ease for a season. It has no garden of Gethsemane. It has no Golgotha. It has no Calvary Hill. It has no cross, if you will. It's a city of ease where you can do your thing. Right along with the Isley brothers. But it is a city, it is a city where there is no real music. 
There is no real song. There is no real worship at all. Tarshish is a place where everybody looks like Jonah as he was boarding the boat. Everybody looks like that. A somber, complex, starry-eyed look they have. It is a sad, sorry look. Can you imagine Jonah getting on the boat? All messed up, starry-eyed. A sorry, sad look upon his face. Jonah was fleeing from his duty. He was running from his responsibilities and from the presence of God. Disobedience is one sure way of disconnecting yourself from fellowship with the Lord. Disobedience. God doesn't live in Tarshish. He lives in Nineveh. That's where he lives. Christ himself years later would say, how can you say and call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I command you? I'm not your Lord. It just doesn't fit. And if it don't fit, then he can't acquit. Uh, send that to O.J. Simpson. Uh, living in Tarshish. Now, once Jonah makes up his mind to be disobedient uh, and not to do what God asked him to do and get on the boat, a type of counterfeit rest, listen to what I'm saying here, a type and a kind of phony peace comes upon him. Did you hear what I said? Once he decides, I'm not going to be obedient. I'm going to get on the boat. He receives a kind of counterfeit peace, a phony rest. The reason I know it is because he falls asleep. He was restless before. He couldn't, he couldn't live with himself before. But finally he says, I ah, forget about it. I'm, not, I'm going to backslide. I'm going to get out of here. I don't like this church. I'm just going to. And he falls asleep uh, in his disobedience. Days before he had been restless and troubled and, and, and trying. But now the battle was over. Yes, he had lost the fight. But now at least and now at last he could sleep. Are you with me? Stay awake for about 10 more minutes. We're getting close to closing here. See, this point and this period, this is very important right here, what I'm going to tell you. This point and this period in his life was the most dangerous of his entire life where he, when he reached this point in place. As it still is for any modern day Jonah. Don't miss what I just told you. This is the most dangerous period in his life. And it's the most dangerous period for yours and mine when we reach this point in place as well. When we're living in disobedience and when we're headed towards Tarshish. Very dangerous. See, before, Jonah had been restless and, and, uh, and uneasy and greatly troubled in his, in his disobedience. But not no longer. Not no more. Now, Jonah was content in his disobedience. Now he could sleep. Now he could rest in disobedience. What a terrible state. Ah, man. That's, 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 that's just right around the corner from reprobate. You have to be sort of like a Bible theologian here to understand what I just said there. Heavy statement. That's right around the corner from reprobate. Now Jonah is not only here now in his rebellion, but he was content to be in rebellion. Content. Friends, we don't even want to go there. But many people still do. Now, he is not only without the presence of God, but he's content to be without the presence of God. That's the danger. Content. Asleep. See, as long as your sin breaks your heart, and as long as your disobedience causes you to be restless, then there's hope for you and I. But when you're content in your disobedience, and when you actually believe that you're better off without God, without going to church... That's a heavy danger zone. But many people get there. Tarshish is, is quite a place. 
Uh, how you doing? I'm all right. No, you're not. Uh, yes, I am. I'm content. Who? Danger's on. Now, there's some of you here today that, you know, that can be in, in this danger zone where you're headed towards Tarshish. How can we know this? Well, by simply asking ourselves, are we running from our responsibilities? That's how you can know. Are you running from your responsibilities and are you content? Uh, and sadder still is that many are content in their apathy, in their negligence of duty, content in their uselessness, content on going to heaven, but taking nobody with you. You're saved. That's, that contents you. We live in a needy world and in a needy church. This is a needy church. We have needs. Because why? We need you. That's why it's a needy church. We need you to be obedient to the things of God. This church, like any other Christian church, has the potential, my friend, to touch the uttermost parts of the world. This church and any church has that potential. And what I, you know, what am I? What are you? What are we doing to contribute for this church to reach its potential? Are we facing our responsibilities? Or are we content to sleep on uh, to Tarsus on the boat? So Jonah, he turns his back on God. He turns his back on his duties, his responsibilities, and he falls fast asleep, the Bible says. But what does God do? In God's love, in God's mercy, in God's great compassion, uh, what does he do? God sends the real perfect storm to shake him and wake him out of his complacency. See, one Bible translation says, God, the Lord, tossed a storm into the sea. God's quite a herder. He's a pitcher. He tosses. No hitters, hallelujah. Uh, he, he better Nolan Ryan. That's what he, he tossed, he hurled, he threw, he pitched right into the danger zone. Pitchers always throw right into the zones. Well, God pitched right into his danger zone because he was in a danger zone. God, in his foresight, has a way of getting our attention, of sending us a wake-up call while maybe we're sleeping contently at the wrong place at the wrong time. Even storms, he'll hurl our way. The reason why I often pray, Lord, do whatever you got to do to get him to heaven. You ever heard me pray like that? I pray like that a lot. And whatever could be the perfect storm. I don't know if you understood what I just said there. Sometimes I pray, God, do whatever you got to do to get this man, this woman to heaven. That whatever sometimes could be the perfect storm. Pastor, don't pray like that. Yes, yes, yes. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven. All of us. And sometimes it's the perfect storm. What's the start of ER? What's his name? George Clooney, you, because he comes out in the perfect storm. Ah. See, God intends to make it as hard as possible for you and I to go to hell. God will never allow a man to be lost until God has done all that he, his very best to save him. Let me read that again. God will never allow a man or a woman to be lost until God has done his very best to save that individual. With Jonah, the men in the boat, 
They went and they gave him a rude awakening, but he needed it. Oh, how some of us here today, we need for some of the church people to go and shake you up. Get right. But this sermon will have to do. Hallelujah. Uh, it'll have to do. My wife spoke a sermon years ago said, God speaks to us four ways. Through his spirit, through his word, through his people. And if you don't listen, he has one other way to speak to you. The perfect storm. If you don't listen to his leaders, if you don't listen to his word, if you don't listen to his spirit, circumstances. Yes, he does. I mean, if you're going to go to hell, God's going to do all he can to make you stop. So you're going to put so many hurdles in your way. That's the love of God. Now with Jonah, as I close, Jonah repented. He repented. The way we know is because once he gets up, he has that rude awakening. He gets up and he sees the faces of those heathen people on the boat with death staring every one of them in the face. Jonah takes on his full responsibility. He's not in Nineveh yet, though he ends up getting there. But the key was his attitude. Listen to me, what I'm saying now. This is the burn of the sermon. His attitude was now, oh my God, it's my fault. He takes on responsibility. How do you get to heaven? How do you get to Nineveh? You take on responsibility. Don't run from your duties. Call an ace an ace. And a sermon a sermon, hallelujah. And if it's right up your freeway, get in the car, hallelujah. Uh, and take the road to Nineveh. Don't run. Take full responsibility. Uh, your duties, your responsibilities. Don't run from them. Jonah knows that everything's his fault. And he's not going to run no more. He's willing to take on the total penalty. Even to the point of being tossed overboard. Full responsibility. He now realizes what he has caused. See, as I mentioned earlier, no man ever runs away from his or her responsibility without ill-affecting other people in his path. When you are disobedient, you're affecting other people. No man lives and dies unto himself. Life is not your thing. Listen to me. Life is our thing. It's not your thing, Isley brothers. It's our thing. Do what God wants to do. Ah. Uh, it's our thing. Do you understand that? When you're irresponsible, you affect all of us. Your responsibilities, your running from your duty, affects even, my friend, everybody in this church. Because this church affects the Philippines. This church affects India and Italy. So when you're disobedient, you're affecting other people as well. But thank God, listen to me as I close, but thank God, the opposite is also true. Ooh, ooh, that's good. The opposite. When you're obedient, you affect other people too. Myself included. Everybody here included. When you're obedient, you begin to be a blessing. And a channel of God's blessings. Because no man lives and gets blessed unto himself. When you're blessed, everybody gets blessed. Through your obedience. Ah, if our disobedience carries a curse... Our obedience carries a blessing. The choice is yours. How are you going to act? Jonah got right. He returned to his ministry, missionary, evangelist position. He got back to where he belonged. Nineveh, your Nineveh, 
as well. Listen to me. Nineveh is not a place of fear. Nineveh is not a place to dread. Tarshish is. But rather Nineveh, even your Nineveh, is a place of peace. And most of all, it's a place of the presence of God. He fled from the presence of God. But Nineveh, even how hard it might be, but there is where the presence and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is at. Because you know you're being obedient to God's will. How did Jonah repent? By getting and being willing to go and to do what God originally wanted for his life. That's how he got back. And that's how he repented. But the, the key that God was looking for, listen to me, the key that God was looking for was attitude. Not to go to Nineveh. It was attitude. See, once again now, Jonah is willing. He's willing uh, to go to Nineveh. To even die for the cause of Christ. That's attitude. Unto death. Not until death, unto death. That's attitude. In other words, whatever you want me to do, God, here I am. Private Pineda reporting his order, sir. That's all God wanted to see. Uh, the road to Nineveh is attitude. When I was in the men's home, this is how I got on my road to Nineveh. I was doing what God wanted me to do, I was being obedient. Then I had to go to court. I went to court nine, nine times. The final time, they sentenced me to 90 days in jail. At least I didn't have to go to prison. But once they found out that I had violated my parole probation, then I'd have to go to prison. But I kept telling, hey, you know what? I don't think I'm going to have to go to jail. God is with me. But I was sentenced. When I went back to the home, I felt, well, God, I have faith in you. and I, I believe you can do anything, but I'm sentenced now. I got a 90-day stay of execution, but in 90 days, I got to go back to the county jail and go mess with the knuckleheads. Ha, ah, man. After a few days, because I had 90-day span, I remember I started getting manila envelopes and putting a few tracks in there. Then a few other tracks and getting things ready, wondering what I could take with me. I knew God could get me out of it. But my attitude was, even if I got to go, I'm not going to turn my back on you. God did a miracle. They took me back to court. They reduced my charges to being in a place with minimal stuff. And I didn't have to go. But God knows in here. God knows. I was willing to go. But that's all God wanted to see. Christianity is attitude. You want to run from Nineveh and go to Tarshish? That's up to you. You want the easy road? That's up to you. The way we know you're on the road is disobedience. The way we know you're on the way is obedience. And obedience has its reward. See, God was just testing. What is your attitude regarding the will of God for your life? Remember, Nineveh is a city rich with the presence and the power of God. Where peace that surpasses all understanding waits for you and I. When you leave here today, which way will you turn? To Nineveh or to Tarsus? I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I pray for Nineveh to be revealed and attitudes to be revealed. Not my will, but your will as I often pray. There's people that are running from your presence. They know who they are. We want your presence. We want your power. We need a touch from you. 
But I pray, Lord God, and I, this sermon has been like an innovator to me. I wanted to preach another one. But I, I preached it. And I know that that's for a reason. There's people here that have not been experiencing your presence because of disobedience. May we repent. The way we'll know is our attitude. Yes, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go to Nineveh, I'll, if whatever it takes. And I was putting this sermon together. Lord, you gave me that illustration of the day that I said, if I got to go to jail, then so be it. If I got to go back. But I knew your presence was going to be with me, Jesus. It was not going to be jail as before. You were going to be with me, Jesus. And I was willing to go, and you know my heart. But you did the miracle. What a miracle to get me out, Lord God. Because you know what was best for me. To stay in the men's home and to get stronger. To someday come to my Nineveh Hayward. Joseph's Nineveh Hayward. That great city. For great purposes and great people. Is every head is about and every close spirit God moving in ministry. You see, the sermon was for me. <laughs>